Good morning, everybody. Welcome. <clears throat> Welcome to our service. Well done for changing your clocks and getting here. I'm glad you're here now. Will you stand? Because we're going to sing. Come. Now is the time to worship. As I said, a warm welcome to you this morning. It's great to see so many people here on a, on a beautiful day. I'd like to just read a verse to you by way of introduction to our service this morning. It's from Psalm 27, which we'll read in full later. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Well, this is the house of the Lord. We're in the Bethel. Um, we don't live here, but it is the home of this family, our family, isn't it? Um, and when we meet here and spend time together and we come to worship him, uh, we come to seek him and to gaze on his beauty and to seek him here in his temple. And we, we are his temple, aren't we? Look around you. These people sat next to you, your brothers and your sisters, um, are the bricks of the Lord's temple. We, uh, we are his temple. And the Lord is here this morning in his temple. We're going to sing... Uh, again, um, two songs by way of focusing on that and, and getting our heads into the, the place that we are in God's temple now and we're in his presence. So will you stand again with me and uh, we're going to sing our wait in your sanctuary and to be in your presence. Our dear Father, we come into this building this morning as your family, as your temple and Lord, we want to meet with you here. Thank you that that we are able to be here this morning. Thank you for your sunshine. Thank you for um, the fact that we live in a country where we can meet freely and worship you um, without fear of persecution. And Father, we think of all the people in the world for whom that is not the case, and we pray um, that you will be with them and keep them safe this morning as they uh, worship you as well. Lord Jesus, help us to to know your presence this morning uh, as we meet together. We we pray that what we do here together this morning in in praying and praising and singing and reading your word and uh, listening to our brother Andrew's words, we pray that we'll be blessed by those and that uh, all those things will be um, a beautiful aroma rising to you uh, as we do it together as, as your family. Please bless each one of us and touch our hearts and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Have anything additional? Let's let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for for being with us, whatever our circumstances are. Father, we thank you that you are with us and that you have blessed us with new life. Thank you for the birth of Ben and we pray, Lord, that you will be with him and his parents and that you will bless them as a family richly, that they will know your love and your care and that they will each be given an insight into the way that you love us by the new relationships which they will develop with each other. Lord, we thank you that you are with us 
when we are not well. And we, we pray for those who are not well at the moment. We think particularly of Mary, who has been such a strong supporter of those who are suffering, who's been such a strong supporter of those who are in need. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with her and comfort her in her time of need. We pray for your strength. We pray for your peace. We pray for your reassurance on her and on Jack too. Lord, bless the family and bless our wider family that we will do what is necessary to provide support. Lord God, we pray that you will heal her and bring her home soon. Lord, we pray for those who have uncertainty, who are making decisions. Lord, we pray, we, we thank you that you are in our, the decisions that we make throughout our life with respect to careers, with respect to where we live, with respect to the relationships that we embark on. And Lord, we pray for all of those who have decisions to make. Lord, help them, help us all to be godly in the way we make our choices. Lord, we've talked about the many things that we have to do in this coming week and we pray that you will richly bless them. Watch over us all in the activities we do, in the conversations that we have, in the relationships that we develop. Lord, help us always to remember why we do them, why we do the activities, that the source of the love that we have. Lord, help us to bear you in mind at all times and in all things, through Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Martin. We're going to read together now um, two chapters. first one, Luke 21, which Philip's going to read for us, and then uh, Psalm 27, which Lucy Griffiths is going to read for us. So, Luke 21, to start with. Thank you, Philip. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people give their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, 
the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they were about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that it's Desolation is near, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword, and we will take us prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, the moon and stars, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, 
when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Psalm 27 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Lucy. It's a fabulous chapter, that, isn't it? Especially when you've read previously Luke 21 and, and uh, all those you know, fairly scary things about what might happen to Jesus' followers in the future. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's sing together again, please. Um, praise the Lord 188, which is based on, on this psalm. I rest in God alone. From him comes my salvation. Uh, he's my fortress and I'll not be shaken. We're going to hear from our brother Andrew now. Let's, uh, let's just pray. Father, 
thank you for this family. Thank you for all the people that make up this family here at Old Trafford and all the um, blessings that, that we bring to each other. And I pray now that you will um, bless Andrew Richard as he speaks to us and speak his words. Um, and so bless us through him this morning. Amen. Morning, brothers and sisters. In 1555, Nostradamus predicted that the world would come to an end when Good Friday falls on St. George's Day, the 23rd of April, when Easter Sunday falls on St. Mark's Day, the 25th of April, and Corpus Christi falls on John the Baptist Day, the 24th of June. This coincidence came about in AD 45, in AD 140, 387, 482, 577, 672, 919, 1014, 1109, 1204, 1421, 1451, 1546, 1666, 1734, 1885 all the high priests were stood there looking at what the people were doing and the widow cast in her two small coins. And we can't help being humbled, can we, when we think about that widow. Um, Jesus was watching and seeing how people with great show were casting in their, their donations and how we often think twice about donating to this cause or that cause or committing to this particular thing or doing that job, whether it be in the meeting or elsewhere. And it's very humbling, isn't it, to think about that widow giving of her all. And of course, the point being made by Jesus was that the widow did give of all her living. I was talking with John uh, and Angela last week about, about this, and John pointed out, which I think I'd like to pass on to, that at the end of the previous chapter, Jesus is talking about the, um, the teachers of the law who make a great show of all their um, faith and their support for the, the work of the Lord, but they devour widows' houses and <clears throat> uh, they take everything off the poor. And that was the context, I think, in which Jesus was making this observation about that woman who gave freely of everything that she could. I wonder why she did that. Have you ever thought that? Why the widow um, gave all that she had? Nobody could see what was happening. The priests overseeing the collection were just looking at what was going on and perhaps they assumed that's all she could spare. But Jesus, the great high priest, he was watching and he knew that she had given her all. But why did she do this? I was thinking about this. Was it pressure that she knew she had to give something as she walked by those collecting points. Was it fear that she thought, well, I'd have to give something because God won't be pleased with me if I don't give something? Or was it because she was despondent that, look at the state she was in, she had nothing, 
she might as well just throw in the towel. Faithfulness. Was it because she was faithful? That's all she had to live on. But she thought, God knows this and I'm going to put myself completely in his hand. He'll be with me through the difficulties that I face. I don't know how she felt, but Jesus did. Jesus knew how she felt and I would like to think that she was trying to put God first in her commitments, that she was being patient. I suppose at times we've all felt like that widow, haven't we? I know I have. I've felt the pressure of trying to do what seems right in the eyes of others, even though perhaps we find it uncomfortable. I felt fear. Fear that perhaps we have to earn or deserve God's pleasure and his grace to do the right thing. Have we felt despondency? Our efforts perhaps are just not getting us anywhere. Perhaps we're unnoticed by God. Perhaps we're just banging our head against a brick wall. We might as well jack it all in anyway. Or faithfulness. God knows that this is all that I have. This is all that I can do. This is all that I'm capable of doing, even though perhaps others are much more capable. I'm doing all I can. And he will be there. We don't know how that widow felt, do we? I have experienced all these emotions. I'm sure we all have. But I'm sure, brothers and sisters, that's why Luke put this little cameo uh, in his Gospel record, and Matthew as well. So that, Sorry, Mark. That we might... Be encouraged to be, to be patient and to trust. And Jesus was moved by that act of the widow, wasn't he? That little act of faithfulness in the eyes of the world, but it was a mammoth commitment in the eyes of Jesus Christ. After all that widow had been through, she was totally committed to God. And it was valued so much by Jesus, this total commitment because Jesus knew about poverty, didn't he? You know, he knew about physical poverty, the kind of poverty that we're all so fearful of in, in the Western world at the moment. Well, globally, really, it's, it's sort of trickling down in every walk of life, isn't it? This poverty, this great credit meltdown. The world is trembling because of it. But Jesus knew poverty. But he was rich. He was rich in the grace of God, wasn't he? Could we just turn together for a moment to Second Corinthians chapter 8. Just looking at verse 8. It's only a short passage, so you don't have to turn to it. Second um, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Where Paul is talking about... Um, about donations and about... Um, gifts. He says in verse 8 of chapter 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus became poor, so that we might become rich. And how did Jesus become poor? He didn't sort of give away a great fortune, did he? Millions of pounds for his followers. 
we read in Philippians chapter 2 that he took upon himself the form of a servant. He became despised and he became rejected, didn't he? That was what he gave. He became poor in the eyes of the world. And he humbled himself to death. Even death on a cross. So, in the eyes of the world, he was just no better than a common criminal, really, was he? He was held in contempt by the authorities. But why? He did that to make us rich. Not in material things, rich in hope and in quality of life. In things that matters. Members of a family that Neil's been talking about. Members of this spiritual temple. Stones built together. We're in line for receiving a wonderful inheritance. A place in the kingdom of God. So as the widow in the temple knew only too well, a true gift hurts the giver. Quite frequently it hurts, doesn't it, to give something you really value and you hope whoever you give it to, the recipient, will look after it. And it hurt Jesus to give, didn't it? It hurt that widow to give. But her faith Her faith was the dominant power in her life, as it was with Jesus. It certainly hurt. We read in verse 15 of this 8th chapter, uh, as it is written, He who gathers much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul concludes this little passage here about giving by quoting from Exodus about the manner that was given out. And he, he says, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little did not have too little. In other words, what Paul's saying is God gives us enough. Some of us might look around and think, wow, they're really okay, they've got lots. And then you could look and think, oh, I wonder how they manage. But spiritually, God gives us enough, doesn't he? In our lives, he gives us enough. It's just that we're conditioned to always want more, aren't we? By our consumer society. God gives us enough. And I think it's important, that's why Paul says that in that passage on on giving. But of course, sometimes we feel our prayers are unanswered, don't we? We feel our prayers are unanswered. Perhaps that widow did. That's why I wanted to look at Psalm 27 as well. But before we turn to that, let's just think about the fact that sometimes in our lives we look back and we see that our prayers were answered, don't we? We see that our prayers were answered. We did have enough. Enough to keep on going. Enough to acknowledge that God provides for us. This subject of unanswered prayer is a, is a massive subject, and it? It's a very big subject. But I thought perhaps we could turn it round. I was thinking about this recently, and if we, we turn it round and think about answered prayer, because often our prayers are answered, much more often than they're not answered. And perhaps we miss sometimes the answers to our prayers. And I thought of that pantomime scenario where you know we, we the audience shouts out it's behind you you know we're so focused on what we want and we miss what God gives us and it, it, we've left it behind it's behind us we, we pass these things by sometimes in our lives we miss it so God always answers our prayers doesn't he 
often the answer might be not just yet or, or no, that isn't for you. You think of Paul praying for um, his eyesight to be restored. Three times we read he prayed about it but that wasn't to be. Or God says, hang on a while, just wait. Trust me, we're all familiar with these thoughts, aren't we? About prayer. I was reading a little article recently about um, unanswered prayer. It made me smile. But it, it, it struck a chord. It, it talks about, uh, it says, um, He shall call upon me and I will answer. It says, when a nightclub opened on Main Street, a church which was only a hundred yards away organised a 24-hour prayer vigil. They asked God to burn the club down. Within a week, lightning struck and it was burnt to the ground. The owner of the church, sorry, the owner of the club sued the church, which denied all responsibility. <laughs> After hearing the arguments from both sides, the judge said, it seems that wherever the guilt may lie, the nightclub owner believes in prayer while the church doesn't. And that was quite interesting, wasn't it? The first hindrance to unanswered prayer is prayerlessness. It sounds simple, but our prayers are not answered when we don't pray. Saying we believe in prayer is not the same as praying. And the article goes on to say, so often we talk about prayer, we talk about what worries us, we talk with people around us, but we don't actually get down and talk to God about it. We're not patient. I was thinking about how Moses fled from Egypt. He was perplexed, but he hadn't given up on God. I used to think that he fled into the wilderness thinking God had forsaken him, but um, I read recently in Hebrews chapter 11, in that famous passage about all the faithful worthies of old, and it says about Moses, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And I'd missed that for many years, but Moses wasn't scared about the king, he just knew he had to go. He says, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, but persevered because he saw him who is invisible. That's strange, isn't it? He saw him who is invisible. And in a way, that's what we're doing this morning, isn't it? We're seeing somebody who is invisible. We're seeing Jesus, we're seeing God, but they are invisible. But we know that they're with us. And Moses saw him who was invisible. And he was ready to serve as he, as he served when he was sat in the wilderness and he saw those shepherdesses driven away from the well by the other shepherds. And he said, he stood up for them and they got home early. And of course, because of that, the father said, why? And he ended up marrying Zipporah. And I often think about the relationship Hezekiah had with God when he spread out his problem before the Lord and prayed about it when Sennacherib was advancing upon Jerusalem. All those people and the people we've looked at this morning already had thought, they'd thought about who their God is. Perhaps they'd seen the invisible as we try to see. So that's why I thought we could just have a look quickly at um, Psalm 27 this morning. It's a lovely psalm and thanks Neil for having it read. I hope you, like me, find it helpful in building up our faith and our encouragement 
and above all, our patience in being positive towards God. We see right away in verse 1 how David trusts in God. What was God to David? We read, God was light, he was salvation, he was the stronghold of his life. It's fantastic, isn't it? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. David was patient, wasn't he? And David, of course, was often in real trouble. But he doesn't focus upon his troubles here. He focuses upon where he can find the answers. And I think there's a great lesson in that, for me anyway, and I think for all of us. So often we we wring our hands and we forget to pray about these things before God. David seems to have a relationship with God, not just based upon um, who God is, but on his experiences of God's love. He begins to know God, doesn't he? And God's guidance and God's protection and rescue. It's similar to the grace of God we all experience through Jesus Christ. And of course, David needed real solutions. He wasn't talking in a hairy-fairy sort of way, was he, David? He really needed solutions to his problems. If we look in verse 2 and verse 3 about how his enemies really were real. Evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. David faced real problems. And he needed to reassure himself that things will not go wrong. Be bold, David says. Perhaps we should be more like David in our prayers. Then in verse 4, I think verse 4 is an interesting verse. David requests many things from God, but what Psalm 27 teaches us is that the harder things can get in our lives, the more important it is to separate what truly matters from what is important. Sometimes you know, we face all these big things, but when we start to boil it down, we can sift them out what really matters and what is important. And this, I think, is what David was able to do. Verse 4, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And in our busy lives, we've got so many reasons why we have little or no time to just um, focus on and to consider the ways and the nature of God. But I wonder what David meant when he said he wanted to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It's an interesting expression. I think we could spend a bit of time looking at that because I suppose we've all got different angles on it. And where was the safest place on earth in, in David's sight? It was to seek him in his temple, to be here in the temple. There was no real security in a tent for David, was there? He wasn't saying that. And once I'm inside this tent, I am safe. And in his battle with Goliath, he knew that armour and, and things he put around us to protect us of a physical nature really aren't very good at all. They can soon be breached. It was he who dwelt in the tent that mattered, wasn't it? It was who David could meet in the tent. And it, it is who we meet here 
Seeing the invisible, who we meet here, that is what matters. That is where our salvation is. That is what is really important in our lives, isn't it? What David is saying is that to stand in God's presence, as we sang, to be in God's presence and to know that he is with us in our lives is to be in the strongest place. And I think that's what the widow with her two mites was a testimony to. She wanted to be close to God. Sometimes we run away or we put substitutes there. And really that's not an option, is it? For from God and in our case from Jesus comes all our protection and nurture and guidance and strength. And ultimately our salvation. It comes from God through Jesus as the bread and the wine symbolised before us this morning. So we talked about unanswered prayer. I guess David didn't have many unanswered prayers, did he, when he thought about it. And I think that's perhaps because so often we go to God for answers, don't we? We go to God for answers only when we have a dilemma. You know, you know what I mean? I know in my life so often I pray about problems, but I don't pray as quickly to give thanks for things. We just go to God when we we want answers. So how do we move then from seeking um, God's help, if you like, to actually seeking God? To actually being with God. As David said, to, to gaze on his presence, to focus our minds on him. And I suppose sometimes the best way of seeing God is to close our eyes and think about him more than to look upon something physically. So, how do we move from seeking help to actually seeking God? I'm sure what David is telling us here in this psalm is spending time with God in thought and in prayer. It's not just knowing who they are. It's getting to know them really specially, isn't it? Getting God and Jesus to come alongside us in our lives. Jesus made the first move unconditionally towards us. And one of the greatest lessons I've had to learn is that Jesus didn't come to me or or to you and answer our prayers so that we might be provoked to coming to him in order that we can earn his um, care and his faithfulness. There's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can possibly do to earn God's favour or God's love. There's nothing we can ever do to repay the price that was paid by Jesus. I think if we try and do that, as we sometimes can do perhaps, we become spiritually insecure. It's a great thing to think that God loves us whatever we do. Even if we miss doing this, we miss doing that, we don't, we don't do this. He still loves us despite all our shortcomings. And once we get hold of that, it's a great, it takes so much stress out of our lives. This is where we get real healing and maturity. Knowing that God and Jesus, what they do for us is because of their their grace. They love us all so much. And because of that, serving God can become a great privilege and not just a duty. It's not something we have to do. So looking down at verse 7 of, of Psalm 27, 
we read, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. And I think here we've got an urgency in what David's saying, isn't he? Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. You know, sometimes we can be um, quietful and thoughtful in our prayers, but this isn't what's happening here. I think David is really urgent in, in wanting a response from God. I think this is what David means when he talks about calling upon the Lord. And this is why we must work at seeking God. Knowing him more deeply, if you like, rather than just seeking God's help. Let's try and build up this relationship with God. And then when we are in times of trouble, we're on a plane ready to talk to God about these things, rather than in the moments of crisis, coming to God hoping that he'll hear our prayer. We sing, don't we? When I am weak, then I am strong. You know, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Then our confidence is built, as David's was, it's built up. And looking back in our lives, we can see how God has been there before. And I think that's a great source of strength to us, isn't it? Sometimes we can face situations, today or in the week ahead, that perhaps are quite daunting. But if we just look back in our lives, we can see how God helped us in the past, Surely that gives us comfort to face and move forward in hope in the future. And David talks in verse 10 and 11 about the worst case scenario where even his closest members of the family go against him. And he looks at that, he's prepared to face it. But also, David can imagine the best scenario as well if it went terribly wrong and if everything all fell apart and all the wheels come off, who would still be there for him? We read in verse 13, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David knew that God would never fail him. It isn't wrong to consider what might go wrong, is it? No, we, that's... There's a great industry built up on that in our, our world at the moment, isn't it? Risk analysis. You know, we, we sort of, what if, what if, and we follow it all the way through. And if we can set the bottom line, we can do something about it and then move forward. There's nothing wrong to consider what might go wrong, but we shouldn't be negative. Let us always be thinking positive about how God can work in our lives. Let's not always be those who expect the worst or fear the worst. I was thinking about Paul and Silas in prison singing hymns at midnight. Now they knew, although it had really gone wrong for them, and perhaps in the eyes of the world, they knew that God was there alongside them. And as disciples of Jesus, we ought to perhaps prepare for things that life does throw at us, things do go wrong, but let us be prepared for that and let them not shake us in our faith. Let us learn that when things fail, as David learned, God doesn't fail us. But this isn't something, as I say, we can learn in a moment of crisis. It's all about trying to build up this relationship of God so that when things don't go as we would like them to go, or would go wrong perhaps in our sight, but they're not wrong in, in God's sight, we're already in this relationship with God and we can turn to him for sustenance and for direction. Realising that his, his arms are there for us when other people's arms are a long way away. So, drawing closer to, to God and to Jesus 
is something we need to consider carefully because if we draw close to God, it does impact on so many different areas of our lives that perhaps we've not thought through fully. Uh, I read another little article which I'd just like to share with you. It was called, Do You Want to Be Made Well? When we think about how um, we pray about one specific situation in our lives, we've not thought how if we ask God to work in that area, it's going to affect something else and something else. So we really need to think about bringing all our lives before God. It was called, Do You Want to Be Made Well? It said, He can't walk. The pool isn't easily accessible. There are no motorised lifts. Then Jesus comes along and asks this man who had been incapacitated for 38 years, do you want to be made well? What a question. Now, Jesus didn't ask it because he didn't know the answer. He did it to direct the man and our thinking along the right lines. He could have just easily have asked, are you ready to assume responsibility for your life? Do you really want that promotion? Or is it easy to moan about the money? Are you ready for marriage? For somebody who will share your life and make you reconsider your self-centred ways? Answer to our prayers often come with a price. For example, the family of an addict sometimes spend years praying for change. And then when it happens, they experience their own crises. Because their lives are centred around drama and dysfunction, they've never learned how to live any other way. At that point, they have a choice to make. Keep blaming their problems on somebody else or accept that they have their own issues to work on. Do you want to be made well? And that made me think, doesn't it, often... We can pray for one thing in our lives and we don't think it's going to affect other things, but but it does. God wants all of our lives. Let us choose to live, brethren and sisters. Let's try and see the invisible here this morning. And finally, another aspect of my relationship, and I guess I'm not on my own in this, is waiting patiently. We can get so impatient, can't we? With God, I was only saying to something the other day. Um, I think as Christadelphians, our movement is is about well, let's do something about it. You know, let's fix this or let's let's have a meeting, let's get it sorted out, rather than just being patient and waiting for God to act. So we read in verse 14: Wait for the Lord, be strong and take hard heart, and wait for the Lord. It can be like walking along a tightrope, can't it? On the one hand, faith is required that God is going to work in our lives. And on the other hand, presumption presumption is not. So it's between faith and being presumptive, isn't it? And I think um, here is the balance between expecting God to answer prayer, but not by our deadline. I think that's the key, isn't it? Sometimes we give God a deadline. I've got to sort this out this week, God, or I've got to work on this by, by tonight. <clears throat> you know, we sometimes give God a deadline. No, I've got to have this job, Lord. I've got to get this deposit on this house. I've got to do this. 
and we don't realise that God has a, a time scale. So often we feel prayer is unanswered because God has not worked on it in our time frame. It does sound audacious, but it does happen. It happens in my life anyway. We try to shrink God down into this little box called me, and it doesn't work, does it? I've got a lot, a lot of sympathy with um, uh, Martha when we read in, in John chapter 11 about how Martha and Mary were um, met with Jesus after Lazarus had died. But poor Martha couldn't see that Jesus hadn't let her down. He had come to help. We could have sympathy for Martha, can't we? She wanted Jesus to do something in, in her time frame. But then he expanded her horizon of what he was about. Are there things that we continue to pray for, but we, we've consigned to one day in the future? You know, oh, well, if it be your will, Lord, and we just perhaps think, well, it's not going to happen, but we've got to say that. Where is our faith? Where is God's time frame? You know, let's not be despondent. Moses wasn't. He just sort of left things in God's hands. So, in conclusion, what can we learn from David's Psalm 27? I think what we do learn is not to be impatient. It's not impatient insistence. Nor is it disappointed resignation. Ah, well, one day in the future, perhaps. It's not that either, is it? Not disappointed resignation. I think it's expectation and patience together. That's what we should have. Just like the widow casting in her two mites into the treasury, it's confidence with patience. It's courage with patience for us, brethren and sisters, in this, this church, this building, this spiritual place. When I was also looking in Hebrews, I saw how we're exhorted to follow those early faithful believers but they didn't just have a relationship with God, did they? they? They had something, they were very close to God. They didn't just sort of um, believe it, did they? They had this special relationship with God, those faithful people of all that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. They had held on to their belief and they had developed it. Their patience wasn't just waiting to see what would happen. They had tried to see the invisible. They had really tried to come alongside God and Jesus. It's waiting with a resolution that doesn't easily give up. I think those are some of the lessons we can learn from Psalm 27. And for this, we need faith, brothers and sisters, as a group, as a family. We need faith we need the support of one another, not to pick fault with one another, but to build one another up. Faith and patience. And it's through faith and patience we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Faith and patience. We, uh, we've been promised eternal life with our, with our Lord and uh, we believe those promises Andrew um, talked about Jesus having made the first move in what he did for us and uh, as we 
think about sharing this meal now. I'd just like to um, paraphrase John 15 and remind you that there is no more beautiful thing than the love that prompts a man to lay down his life for his friends. We, uh, we've come into his temple to seek the Lord and uh, we gaze upon his beauty now as we, as we share this token meal. Um, the beauty of his compassion and grace and love is made so clear and fresh again for us, isn't it, each time we do it. What a painfully beautiful thing our Father did for us to get us to understand uh, our worth to him. What a beautiful Saviour is our Lord Jesus. Before we do share the we're going to sing uh, praise to our beautiful Saviour. We're going to sing uh, the first two verses of, uh, of All My Days. We need to have faith and patience as we trust in the cross of our Redeemer, as we trust um, in the blood that has cleansed us, in whom, in through which we have uh, forgiveness of sins and conscience cleansed through our beautiful Saviour. Paul writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're going to do. Um, and we're going to give thanks for the bread, first of all, through our brother Derek. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time together, this wonderful time that we've spent thinking about you and our, your wonderful Son, Jesus. We are so richly, richly blessed, Heavenly Father. We are a wonderful church, and we have experienced the practicalities of our love for one another, and our love for you and Jesus, Lord particularly yesterday when we worked together to show our love and to get on with the job fearlessly and enthusiastically and wonderfully fruitful. It was a joy to be amongst our brothers and sisters yesterday, Heavenly Father, and I'm sure we all appreciated that. And we've come into your temple this morning, your house, and we have been truly, truly refreshed to know where we stand in relationship with you and Jesus. And we have confidence, Heavenly Father, that we have read your word, we've read your psalms, we've been encouraged by Andrew and Neil in their prayers and in our singing. It's been wonderful, Heavenly Father. And now we take bread and share it amongst us and we are strengthened to go forward, not only on this day, but also to look forward to that wonderful day that you have promised that we will share that amazing relationship in your kingdom. What a wonderful hope this is, Heavenly Father. We are truly, truly blessed. So we thank you. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your love and for the love of Jesus and for the terrible trial and persecution he went through on our behalf. We just cannot put ourselves in that situation, Heavenly Father. But my goodness, 
Jesus really did show us his love by going through that sacrifice. And now as he requested us to do, we remember Jesus and we offer our prayer as always in and through his wonderful name. Amen. The beauty of your love and the beauty of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we take it and pass it between each other, we pray for your blessing, Father, and we pray that our trust in you will become greater. Lord, we're all here because we trust you. But that trust ebbs and flows, it, it comes and it goes. Sometimes it's as strong as a rock, sometimes it's weak and riddled with doubts. Father, we all feel the need sometimes to trust in our own endeavours and our own insurance policies. But whether we are, wherever we are, each as individuals and in our own specific place that we're in at the moment, we pray that in taking this cup of wine, our confidence will be greater, our trust will be increased, and we will know that when we rest in you and the Lord Jesus Christ, Everything else is taken care of. Thank you, Father. Amen. Dave's going to close in prayer for us in a moment. After we have sung that song as an encouragement to each other, go peaceful in gentleness. And the chorus is, may God hold you and enfold you in his love, and may you be known by love. So my prayer for all of us is that as we leave this place, we may reflect the beauty of Jesus that we've thought about, and that we may reflect our Um, our faith and our confidence in the Lord um, to the people that we meet and uh, go peacefully thanks for being uh, here with us this morning Heavenly Father thank you for bringing us here together this morning to, to share in fellowship your love and the love of the Lord Jesus and we have seen this as we have looked backwards we've seen the invisible we've touched and handled and tasted things unseen thank you Lord and now we turn from that divine retrospective to the divine prospect as we look forward to the return of Jesus and the coming of your kingdom we so want it to come that we know that we must be patient it will happen in your time we long for it to come and we long to be there and we thank you for the promise which we've seen reiterated this morning that we can be there through your love and through the Lord Jesus. Now hear as we pray, as we ask this prayer and give you all our thanks and all our praises in his name. Amen.